In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hello, and welcome to Soft Black Woman, presented by The Betches Up. I'm your host, Dr. Akila Kade. Each and every Friday on Soft Black Woman, we'll be talking about a range of topics, from pop culture to politics to how we live our lives through the lens of intersectionality. I'll be joined by guests that each have a unique perspective and point of view to share. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about myself and why I'm so excited to be doing this show each week. As I said, I'm Dr. Akila Kade, and I'm the founder of Change Kade. I often speak of my own intersectionality, so you'll get to hear my particular perspective on current events through the lens of a Black disabled woman. And my love language is dismantling white supremacy, so you'll definitely learn what that means and what we can all be doing to dismantle white supremacy. Much of what we'll be discussing on the show will also cover how the trending headlines affect BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, People of Color individuals, and BIPOC communities. And to help me discuss those topics, every week I'll be joined by a different guest co-host who will share how they see these stories through their own lens of intersectionality. And speaking of guests, I'm very excited to welcome my first guest. She's the creator of the viral web series, Smarter in Seconds, co-founder and head of education at Feminist, and Los Angeles Times bestselling author of Read This to Get Smarter about race, class, gender, disability, and more. Please welcome Blair Imani. Hi, Blair. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm in my full soft black woman realness. I just woke up because I have what did my friend Roy Wood Jr. said that I have New York ambitions, but a Los Angeles sleep schedule. I I love that I meant sleep. But if you're going to look amazing and great, which you do, I wish you all could see this fabulous robe, which is nothing but happy faces and like softness, literal softness. <laughs> Hundred percent. That's coming together. But this is where you do it. This is where you're soft. I am wearing my blinged out sling because my arm isn't showing up for me right now. But I'm making it fashion. You know, doing what I can. Love to see it. (laughs) Um, So we're going to be talking a lot today. um, But is there anything else that you wanted to tell the listeners about your amazing self? Ooh, follow me on Threads. That's a new thing, right? Let's go. (laughs) Okay, let's get into it. Let's. So, so you joined yesterday. Yes, of course. Of course, I yeah. I had pre-downloaded the app. That's how uh, chronically online I am, but I'm okay with it because it's my job. Pre- it is your job. You pre-download it. I, someone was just who works on social was like, you need to get on threads. And I was like, what is a thread and how do I thread? And am I threading? Do I send a thread? Like, what am I doing? But I did right? it. Are we sewing? Are we knitting? Is it crocheting? Who is it knows? Crocheting? All I said though, this is my like debut thread. Um, I was like, my thread count so high. You can call me Egyptian cotton because if nothing else, I am full of dad jokes. Let's have a moment of silence for that, Jim. That was fantastic. Thank you. I, I That is – okay, that's great. All I came up with is, so what do we do here? You know? Like, <laughs> that's I better can't. than testing, testing, is this thing on? I was like, okay, there has been millions of tweets to that effect. Let's get more creative, people. But millions I think it's going to be really exciting. I think that this is going to be the death knell for Twitter. I hope that a new platform will like kind of air out the toxicity that happened on Twitter. I think that meta – for better, for worse, has better 
you know, protections for creators. Yeah. And, you know, isn't trying to be a safe space for neo-Nazis. So uh, <laughs> onward and upward. Let's see. Onward and upward. I mean, speaking of neo-Nazis, the second thread. What is it? Can they tell us what it is, please? Um, I said, anyone else hoping this platform doesn't uphold values of white supremacy? Or is that just me? So TBD, um, because Twitter went down a path. But the other thing to keep in mind for any thread or meta employees out there is that the platform is not accessible. So, you know. Yes, I think they are rolling out having. So it took Twitter years for them to get accessible language onto the platform. You would think that Instagram would have integrated that since they led that kind of work. Um, So I'm hopeful to see it become updated. Um, It's annoying and ableist that disabled folks, you know, folks with low vision or who are blind, that they have to struggle because things aren't already built in to include them. So I think it was great that folks clocked that immediately. And hopefully there that's in the pipeline. Yeah, but I will say as a disabled person, like do better. They, they had time. 100%. It wasn't like, you know, Instagram or Twitter and you're like, oh, there's this market that we can also tap into. They really had an opportunity to show up right um, where, you know, it's a reminder that disabled folks like and low vision folks or whomever has some type of additional accommodation that we can accommodate. We also like the new shiny things, too. We also want to be part of the zeitgeist. And it doesn't bode well to start with othering that group right away. And so, yes, dropping it, but it could have been dropped when it came out. Period. Also, you're meta, so you have Instagram tools. Like, it's not, it's like, it's You've there. already built this. Just copy paste it over. <laughs> Change the code a little bit. That's it. That's all you have to do. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Well, we started talking about the culture, which is important, and I would like to introduce you and the listeners to our first segment that we call For the Culture. This is the part of the show where we examine some of the top trending pop culture and media headlines from a BIPOC perspective. And our first subject today is the Supreme Court of the United States of fucking America and the decisions they've made (laughs) this past week. (sighs) <sighs> womp, 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 womp. How are you feeling? Just, I'm going to check in with you first. How are you feeling? I'm pissed the fuck off because it's like we have six people who are completely out of touch, who have benefited from all of the systems that they are now tearing down. There is no mechanism for accountability for them other than us like protesting and making a human chain outside of the Supreme Court, <laughs> which I, I would be down to do. You know, drop the location. Let's go. 
But it's just really frustrating because, you know, people are like, register to vote. And it's like, yes, do register to vote because we have to elect presidents that can appoint these people. But we elected a president who didn't appoint these people, you know, minus Katanji Brown Jackson. We live for Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. All day. But we saw how hard it was for her to go through that experience. Like that was like watching all of all black women get gaslit as she was getting confirmed and all this violence that she was experiencing in order to, you know, do her job. So I'm pissed the fuck off, but I'm, it's, it, so it's, it's very much, you know, my friend Richie Reseda said that anything that was created by a colonial system can be taken away by the colonial system. And I think that's a really apt way to look at the Supreme Court because we were given these rights by them and they can take them away, you know? It's like having a toxic parent. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think a lot of people forget that the founding fathers were heterosexual, cisgender, non-disabled white men. Um, who had some type of privilege, whatever that was, right? But they have the privilege in those identities that I just talked about. The country is built and designed for them. So for some of the folks who are just like kind of surprised with what's happening at the Supreme Court, I like to say catch up because I'm a black disabled woman in this country. And so I've always known that these things are nice to have, not founding father energy. It's that same type of thing that's happening. So with the joys of colonialism, and that's a great quote, this is the reality of the situation where it's like, wait a minute, are we losing our power and control? Are we losing our white dominant culture vibes? What do we need to do to reclaim that? Because there's a lot of fear in women. There's a lot of fear with BIPOC people, black indigenous people of color. There's an extreme amount of fear with black people. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. So one way to instill fear and bring in control is exactly what we see the Supreme Court doing. Period. So, I mean, we have affirmative action that only affects race. And race is not even a word. It's really ethnicity. But the other race that was excluded was when we think about legacy. And legacy typically includes white people or people who have an insane amount of money or access to be able to have legacy. So they could still benefit. Like legacy is affirmative action for white people. I think that one of the things that affirmative action has long had is just like people, like there's just been a lack of literacy around the context of affirmative action. Like I was talking to one of my uh, my colleagues, Khalil Green, and I'm like, is it even worth continuing to talk about affirmative action? Because it's dead now. But I think it is worth it because people are saying, oh, now they can't, you know, uh, consider race and admissions. That's not what that means. So race is a system that has a hierarchy and it means that difference is bad and it's, uh, it's you know, manufactured, it's created, but it is very much real in the form of racism, right? Right. And so because of that, they can still be racist. Like there's nothing preventing them from being racist. Affirmative action wasn't preventing them from being racist. But what affirmative action did was say, hey, let's consider the fact that, I don't know, Harvard, for example, Yale, for example, Duke, for example, was built on the back of enslaved black folks and didn't allow black folks to attend school here and didn't allow women to attend school here. And as we know, because of Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, when we consider women, we're considering white women, we're considering blackness, we're considering black men because of patriarchy and uh, white supremacy. So who was the primary beneficiary of affirmative action and have been since it was implemented? White women. So we have people like Amy Coney Barrett, who are literally taking action, playing themselves against affirmative action, when she herself, I'm sure her entire life has benefited from it, whether it was in the form of, and I feel like 
you know, while white people have legacy, I don't know if it's affirmative action because affirmative action is correcting for something that was done wrong. And so that's what the affirmative and affirmative action is for. And so I think that the people who have been pushing against this, and it's been happening my entire life, your entire life, of people being like, you know what? <laughs> There's not enough oppression going on. Why don't we have some more oppression? Um, and they took it all the way to the Supreme Court. And people really think that this was a decision made on the facts, made on the law. But one thing I will say, and I went to law school briefly, I dropped out, it was the right decision for me, Good for is you. that when they make these decisions, right, whether it's blocking, uh, you know, loan forgiveness, whether it's like, you know, cutting down affirmative action, uh, reversing Roe versus Wade, all of these things you can manipulate the law to benefit oppressors, just like you can uh, hopefully try to manipulate it to be liberatory. But it's the system that's the problem that can, you know, turn these rights off and on like a light switch. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's exhausting when you think about it. But we're here to bring in some softness with it. And I do want to highlight what Justice Sotomayor said, which is a superficial rule of colorblindness as a constitutional principle in an endemically segregated society where race has always mattered and continues to matter. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this emphasis on race. Now, it's important to note that race is not a real thing, but race is designed to uphold values of white supremacy. And so there was a time where, you know, Italian Americans were not accepted, Irish Americans were not accepted, Jewish Americans weren't accepted, but depending on how that person identifies, they were grouped into the white category, white people. So there's more power, dominance, and control. And we're seeing this played out over and over again, things that have benefited and provided opportunities for equality for those who are the oppressed groups. I would definitely say, though, that anti-Semitism continues to be a rising issue in the United States. Oh, I it think is. That, like, one thing that I tried to discuss in my book, Read This to Get Smarter, is like, while I think it makes a lot of sense to discuss anti-Semitism in the context of race, anti-Semitism is way older than the system of race itself. And so, Absolutely. like, I think a lot of conversations, especially as we see these rise in neo-Nazis, has been how, like, the specific system of white supremacy in the United States and in Europe is so inextricably tied to anti-Semitism, like anti-Blackness and anti-Semitism. We have to discuss both of these things when we talk about white supremacy. And it's the interlinking aspects of those that really like complete the conversation, but they don't operate the same way. And I think that's what's so interesting. Like, I think that, you know, Italian Americans and Irish Americans, they had this conditional whiteness. One of the ways that the Irish Americans did it was with joining the police force. Exactly. Oh, we're going to become part of this system. And we see this all across Boston, all across, you know, all over the East Coast. We're going to, you know, frame ourselves as being part of the police force. But when we say race isn't real, I think it's very important to put a fine point on is that it wasn't discovered, right? Like, so like the fact that we have like different color skin and different texture hair, that's not right. race. That's just human diversity. But right. the colonizers over the past 600 years have looked at those things and literally wrote and written things down to say, oh, they dress this way. They act this way. Black right. people are more aggressive and more sexual. And they called it, quote unquote, science. And don't experience pain. 
Oh, right. and don't experience pain. Yeah. I'm literally doing a Smarter in Seconds about this tomorrow. It'll go up with the podcast. So after you listen to this, <laughs> make sure you head over to my page and see my lesson with Joelle Bravel, uh, all about medical racism and how deadly it is. Because race isn't real, but the way that it's enforced is with these ridiculous formulas that say uh, black people have better kidney function because they have higher muscle mass, which is why they're better laborers, which was used to justify enslavement. So I'll leave that history lesson there, but... Which is very true. But Blair, the next time you do that, you let me know because I oh, deal 100%. With nothing but medical racism and discrimination because I don't experience pain whatsoever. Why would I experience pain? I just, I have anxiety, you know, or I am maybe just tired because I'm a strong black woman who works so hard. <laughs> you know, there's so many things that can come up. Are we allowed to be tired in a system of white supremacy or are we always considered lazy? Okay, so the name of the podcast is Soft Black Woman. <laughs> and we are we are an act of resistance to tap into that softness. But I think it's very true. When we were thinking about the overall culture with everything that's happened, we are in a situation where it's like there's one thing after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. So some of you may know I'm, I'm writing a book. And for a while, the title was My Existence is Resistance. Notes from a Black Disabled Woman in White World. And I was like, oh, no, this cannot be the title because I cannot for the rest of my life have my existence as resistance. Because again, it's what you're talking about, the systems and the structures that are there. It, if if things work to the benefit of the dominant culture and um, I was able to just be a black person who was valued or a woman who was valued or a disabled person who was valued and had supports and you know systems that were there to support my overall softness, I wouldn't have to be exhausted. They wouldn't have to be resistance. Like it's not a radical act for us to lean into being soft black women. But unfortunately, because of systemic issues, it is, which is so fun and so exciting. It's really mind blowing. Like I was talking about this with my partner yesterday. Like I think that my propensity for like extroversion and like fact telling and feeling like I had to be like this hyper intellectual, whatever. They were all coping mechanisms. They're still part of my personality, but it was like this extra pressure of like, I don't even think I considered that I could be an introvert as a black girl, as the only black girl at my school, because I just felt like I had to talk every day and like be the like, I, it was like a pageant every single day because I feel like I wasn't just being me. I had to perform excellence for all of the people at my school and I was literally told by my family, like, you know, that you're the only black person they're going to see uh, that day or that they right. get to know personally. So you have to single handedly disrupt all of those stereotypes. And I was like, OK, right. luckily it worked really well with my my, ex, you know, extrovert personality. But I wonder, like, if I was in a different environment, like, would I be a little bit more chill? Um, like. It's just, it's really something to think about. So I think that this space is going to be so great. I'm so honored to be your first guest. I'm so honored you're here too. I will say I grew up in Sacramento, California. So same vibe. Um, I was one of four black people. So I don't want to brag. <laughs> four. And one was my wow. twin sister. Yeah. So uh, there was a lot of pressure that's there when you are that black family. I grew up in a primarily predominantly white and Asian neighborhood too. So we were very noticeable in that space. But that resulted in me like flat ironing my hair and making sure it was straight and sounding a certain way and dressing a certain way. And so it wasn't until I, I moved to San Francisco to go to college where I was like, so my hair is naturally curly. <laughs> 
and I can wear it out and I can tap more into my Caribbean self and I can do things where people wanted to embrace more of my cultural identity than to represent all black people. Did you do Jack and Jill? Were you a Jack and Jill person? We were in Jack and Jill briefly, but you know, links, guardsmen, like, and so for folks who are listening, these are all like black social organizations and they're such a sacred part. Like I feel like while there's something that are uniquely black, we also, I think it would behoove us as a community to talk about them more publicly because all these social organizations were made because black kids were not allowed in the YMCA, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, like as right. much as that history is not really discussed, like it's a, it's a very similar vibe. And so I did go to the parties occasionally. Okay. I'm a Jack and Jill girl. Links happen too. Um, we also had other groups in, in, in Sacramento, but I think you're exactly right. We have these so that we could get access to things that white people had. We would travel. We'd go around. We went to like South Africa. Like we we did really cool things to have experiences that wouldn't readily be available to us or we were othered um, in one way or another with the schools right that we went to so it was good to be around other black people who also had to live a certain way (laughs) we commiserate together today's episode of american fever dream is brought to you by newly have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always afford the super high-end stuff i have a solution for you it's newly Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. One thing I would love to get your perspective on is the LGBTQ plus protections and anti-discrimination laws. My favorite thing is that someone posted a sign that said, um, due to the Supreme Court decisions around the LGBTQ plus community, we're no longer serving Trump supporters. And that that made me cackle, but also is factual if you're going to go down that route. So what do you think that means when we talk about the LGBTQ plus community? Well, I think the one thing, like while the, the Trump, like we're no longer serving Trump supporters, Being a Trump supporter is not an innate part of your identity. That is like literally a choice, you know? (laughs) 
the thing with the Supreme Court deciding that, you know, it's okay to discriminate against LGBTQ plus patrons on the grounds of it being, quote unquote, free speech is just such a demonstration of how embedded homophobia and transphobia is into our like into our society. The other thing that's really fascinating is that the person who made this has the most mid graphic design skills I've ever seen. OK, like take a class on Skillshare, honey, like maybe focus on that instead of litigating a made up hypothetical case. So that's what was really interesting. She didn't ever actually have a queer person, a trans person come to her business and say, hey, can you make me a website with your mid design skills? Can like she made it up. And so that went all the way to the Supreme Court in a hypothetical situation. And that's what really is mind blowing. This happened on the last day of Pride. This happened as there is a disproportionately high amount of attacks happening against the trans community, uh, against the gay community, against um, the right to gender affirming care. Um, you know, all of these things matter and speak to this egregious violence. But what I also hope it does is affirm to you know, the LGBTQ plus community, which I'm a part of, I'm bisexual, but I also recognize that, you know, I'm also a black woman. I'm also Muslim. Um, I'm neurodiverse. Like all of these things, you know, keep me having multiple axes of oppression in my intersectional identities. But I think a lot of times for white queer folks and for white trans folks, there is a um, belief that respectability will be the key to gaining back the privilege you may have lost when you came out Mm. and i think that this case has already been an affirmation to those folks um or what's the opposite of an affirmation i don't know a glooming reminder that (laughs) you're still oppressed that we don't have rights in this system and that queer is a politic it's not just an identity category that it is a radical you know uh determination to say I reject cisnormativity. I reject heteronormativity. I deserve to be here. My existence is decolonial because before colonization, being queer and being trans were not treated as other. They were treated as sacred. So that's what I think. I don't have anything else to say to that. I accidentally went to church on that. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up Baptist. Can you tell? I can. Also, I was Baptist and Catholic. You're absolutely right. And I I think it's really important to talk about how it wasn't a real thing. It was a hypothetical that made it a hypothetical. But that goes back into the intersectionality of how LGBTQ plus folks are viewed, how the queer community is viewed, and (laughs) the respectability that goes into it. Can I also give like a little history, a little history moment too? Yes, historian. So when we had the Stonewall uprising, Stonewall riots, whatever you want to call it, back in 1969, I wasn't there, but I have such vivid memories from all the history books I read. It's interesting because it was a similar rejection of respectability. Before that, there was the homophile movement, which was just the same love movement. You know, not homosexual. Sexuality's bad. We're just homophile. We just love. And it was very much the, we're just like you, except gay. And it was really genderqueer bisexual, like folks who are outside of this monosexual cisgender norms so that like, like Stormy Ledevere, like Marsha P. Johnson, like Sylvia Rivera, who their entire lives, particularly as trans women for Sylvia and for Marsha, were treated so horribly by the system that when police officers came to shut down the Stonewall Inn, there was just this visceral rejection of that and this didn't refusal to be 
brutalized any further. And and that's something I want to say very delicately because it's not like we opt in, right? We're not we're always constantly refusing this. But that kind of fighting back, picking up coins or bricks or shot glasses or whatever it was, that shifted the entire realm of the LGBTQ plus rights movement from rights movement to a liberation movement. And so that's why I think it's so important to name that this rejection of privilege, this rejection of respectability, it works. It works. And so if you're feeling that discomfort as a as a queer person, regardless of your race or your other, you know, identities, like let's focus on this, right? Like all those things are sacred parts of us. But if you're an LGBTQ plus person, regardless of who you are um, in the rest of your life, recognize that you will benefit from taking a radical approach against respectability and against privilege mm-hmm. and finding community with people through shared values. I think that is also the lesson. Like I I, I try to be this like very optimistic person because that is part of my softness. That's how I remain a soft black woman is by recognizing that we have so much garbage that we are constantly inundated with, but we can lean into the softness of hope and into the softness of change and in the softness of revolution. So yeah, another sermon. Sorry. (laughs) Apology rejected. Uh, (laughs) Period. I would start saying that to people who (laughs) over-apologize. Do it. Okay. So... Let's let's talk about some other things. Now it's time for a next segment. We're calling this one twice as hard. While BIPOC individuals often have to work twice as hard to get half as far, this segment will highlight a conversation or eye-opening moment for BIPOC individuals in culture politics. And so I have two that I would like to bring up. First one, Jill Scott, National Anthem Essence Festival. So let me just read what she's saying. It is the Star Spangled Banner, a.k.a. America's Go America song. And so she changed the lyrics to say, Oh, say can you see by the blood in the streets, this place doesn't smile on you, colored child, whose blood built this land with sweat and their hands, but will die in this place and your memory erased. Oh, say does that truth hold any weight? This is not the land of the free, but the home of the slaves particularly because prisons perpetuate slavery in this country. If you want to learn more about that, I have a 13th Amendment. Uh, 13th Amendment, they carved out slavery to be able to continue in the prison system. And that's why we need abolition. Okay, so my thing is don't be mad at Jill Scott for having the immense talent, the immense bravery, but also the softness to hold with empathy and love this country and to ask questions. She's making assertions, but she's also asking questions. Does that truth ring true? It does. Be mad at the fact that it rings true. Be mad at the fact that we have a racist prison system. Be mad at the fact that we have blood in the streets. Don't be mad at the messenger. I mean, you you literally brought up Harvard earlier, built by enslaved people. And Joy Reid, Um, MSNBC host was talking about how affirmative action was a benefit for her to get into Harvard. And even with that additional benefit, people were still making fun of her. And it was an incredibly hard position for her to get into because she didn't go to Exeter. She didn't go, you know, she didn't have that life, but affirmative action allowed it to happen. A black woman, Joy Reid, went to Harvard that was built by enslaved people because she knew the benefit of how it could change the trajectory of her life. And so when we hear Jill Scott say, this is not the land of the free, but the home of the slaves, it's a weight we carry as black people, as black women, knowing that some of the opportunities that we have are because of our ancestors who sacrificed. 
so that we could have an opportunity to be in certain places. Like there's so much weight that goes into what she said. And I bring it up for twice as hard because she had to sit there and think, am I going to sing this? Is this going to change the trajectory of my career to tell the truth? To tell the truth. That's not something we should have to be confronted with. But we are because a white stand-up comedian could say that same thing and be applauded and be praised. But Jill Scott and I particularly think as somebody who, you know, she's had such a long career. And you do wonder, like, is the trajectory different because she stays telling the truth? And I think that it's also like a decision that we all have to make to be on the side of justice and to be on the side of truth and to do that in such creative, beautiful, brilliant ways. Like with that the is where Sorry? the diaphragm with the vocals, the diaphragm, oh, yeah. you're holding the notes. You're making us linger on the notes of our memory erased. Hold any weight. But I think that's something that black women in this country have done. So exemplary, like Nina Simone with Mississippi, goddamn, like mm-hmm. strange fruit. Like there are so many, there's so many ballads of so many moments in Black American history, whether we go back to the spirituals. And I think that's also part of the sacred tradition of soft Black womanhood of, you know, you are literally like, you can scream and you can yell and you can go blue in the face, but we could also sing. Yeah, we can sing. Can you sing though? Like in <laughs> No, life? I cannot, but I can give a very rousing speech as you've heard a little bit of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud to say I can sing. I was in uh, honor choir, um, so I, I I can make it happen. I don't do it publicly because I would like to get paid for it. Um, but otherwise, there's some gifts we have to have for ourselves. Goes down in the shower. <laughs> it does. Um, another uh, black woman I would like to highlight for twice as hard is Tracy Chapman. So I don't know if you heard this, but Fast Car, you know Fast Car, it's a banger. I got a fast car. I'm not going to sing it because, again, I charge for that. But um, she's made history with having fast car top the charts again because um, Luke Combs is a country star who remade Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. And it's actually good. I have to listen to it. Like country music is, you know, ours. Um, from, we made from it. Black people. Thanks yeah. to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, we did it. Uh, shout out to Rosedale. Um, I'm I'm creative director of Rosedale, and we are a country music label who's all about reclaiming. Yeah, so we're we're in startup mode. In a couple of weeks, we'll be saving one of the historic buildings in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, that's been designated for um, black country music. And there's a whole fight because you know white supremacy. Well, if you want to do a smarter in seconds on country music and how we created Ooh. it, I'd be happy to do that as a way to fundraise. Let's do it okay messaging you right after this um we'll definitely do it but there's so so luke comes he does fast car he gives it justice and it's back on the charts which is awesome and amazing and incredible but at the same time did he give some residuals we hope to tracy chapman because that's what we'd like to see so yes, she is getting paid. It's important to note that she is getting residuals okay black woman good job luke combs um for that to happen but this is making her mark as the first black woman with sole writing credit on a number one country song. Wow. I know. I know. I know. And so Fast Car, for for those who may not know, it came out in 1988 and it's a banger. Um, highly recommend you also listen to Tracy's version and you can listen to Luke's too. Listen to them back to back. Let's get the streams 
to both of the artists. Back to back. Because uh, why? Because Tracy Chapman's getting paid regardless. We love to see royalties. Boom. Boom, boom. Let's get the a fraction of a cent or whatever it is from streaming to go in there. But yeah, so Fascar won Grammy Awards. So, you know, she has her, her honor and respect there. But talking about Twice as Hard because this whole idea, reality, this current situation of the first solo Black woman songwriting credit number one in 2023. And so I just like, I am tired of the first. I'm so tired of the first. And let me tell you, one thing that I think about when the first, this is a different, like unique situation, but when it comes to like the first person to do this, the first black person to do that, I think that it's really interesting because it's, especially now, I think with the turn of the century, right? Like post 2000, I like, why we still have first? Racism (laughs) was a 1900s type of thing, you know? Why was Beyonce the first black woman headliner of Coachella in 2016? Like what, why? Why? It's Coachella, and have you been to Coachella? It's so dusty. I, but anyway, I think I have, that like yes. I'm, I'm really also interested in the first and how we need to get rid of that whole thing because one, we want to honor and respect people who have made those first, but also what does it mean for the next person? Because I think that there's sometimes a measuring stick that we place particularly marginalized people up against that if you are the first one, that you have to conduct yourself in a way that makes sure you can be there can be a next one, but it's not our decision. We don't get to decide to be the first as evidenced by the fact that we are the first. Because if we had some decision-making power, it wouldn't just be us. It wouldn't. I also, I like to say historically excluded or purposely ignored instead of marginalized to put it on the system and not the people. Because we're here. You're acting like a lot of Black women didn't have profound country songs, but they never made it, you know? Just... I like marginalized too, though, because it says we were pushed to the margins, right? Like we are like yeah. versus minority, which is like, what does numbers have to do with it, right? Just because there's less people, like yeah. a mess. So yeah. I do, but I do love digging into the meaning of words because yes, it is systematically excluded and systemically ignored. Absolutely. Speaking of words, I just love to have a historian. It just there's so much flair that you get to add on all the facts. And the it nuggets makes me feel really comforted. Like I was at it this should. bar in New Orleans during Essence Fest. And I love talking to strangers at the bar because it just gets the blood. You went pump. to Essence Fest? You just went to Essence Fest? Yeah, I did. And you were thank you for showing up. That's oh, a lot. Course, no problem. <laughs> I have already lived so many lives. I but I got back on Sunday, went to a house party on Monday, rested Tuesday, and posting another smarter seconds on Friday. But while I was at Essence, that's when I filmed the lesson on medical racism. But I was at this other bar and I was talking to this man and I had some type of history lesson I was telling him because he said something that was out of pocket. Like it's not sexism's fault. And I was like, what? And then we got to go to a history lesson. And I think that history just gives people more, it gives any any argument more gravity because it's like, or gravitas, because it's just fact that happened in the past. And it also is very reassuring for me because then we can look out at the world and we can go, oh my gosh, we're in a terrible situation right now. But we can base this on the fact that during Reconstruction, what were the things that changed? Like, okay, affirmative action was struck down. Okay, Roe versus Wade was overturned. Loan forgiveness was blocked. Um, you know, hypothetical LGBTQ plus customers have resulted in, right. you know, all this, so all this horribleness. But if we look back to the 1870s after enslavement was struck down except for as a punishment for crime by the 13th Amendment, 
we can look at how social organizations came together and were the glue that held people up and held people together and uplifted people. And so then we can see a way out of this depression and we can see a way forward through our collective power, not relying on the systems, but creating our own infrastructure. And that's why I love history because there's a blueprint to the awfulness that we're currently going through. And also we can look at why we're going through the awfulness. Let's move on to one of my favorite segments of the show, Sounds About White. This is the part of the show where we highlight. <laughs> Who named it and can I give them a, an award? That is an, that's like a boss article. Para ti. Um, thank you. Um, Sounds About White, which I wanted to be the title of my book, um, <laughs> is the part of the show where we highlight a new story featuring the latest in white privilege. So. This week, it's all about the Twitter beef between Representatives Bush and Green over Fourth of July and reparations. So, um, Cory Bush tweeted the Declaration of Independence was written by enslavers and didn't recognize Black people as human, and that's what facts. started. But nothing but facts. Nothing. Yeah, but if facts. we need proof, um, okay. What's the uh, <laughs> allegation that they were enslavers? They were enslavers. Thomas Jefferson said all men are created equal while personally enslaving over 600, 600 people over the course of his lifetime. Somebody told me recently, oh, even though he did that, he was actually very against slavery. And I'm like, that's like telling me Jeff Bezos is against climate change while also being Jeff Bezos. So no, we're rejecting that. So yes, fact. And that did they did not see black people as human? Well, they said all men are created equal, but then they also didn't emancipate anybody. So I think that also checks out. So yes, Representative Cory Bush, correct. Ooh, yeah. So, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene did not like that. She don't like facts. How else do you uphold this vision, this altered state of reality of dominance, power, and control if you aren't saying dumb stuff? Well, she decided to clap back. Um, with off key, by the way, on the on the ones and the threes. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Um, the Republican Congresswoman took aim at Bush and accused her of supporting the Russian-Ukrainian war by tweeting, "You voted to send 113 billion to white people and the white Nazi army of Ukraine." First of all, Marjorie Taylor Greene, don't you like not like you act like one? Chat GPT could have come up with a better response to that, ma'am. Yeah. And so, you know, it was, it was just a continuous back and forth and stupidness. Um, I, I use that as, as a doctor um, and a researcher, using it as a, a real term from Marjorie Taylor Greene. Cori Bush is nothing, nothing but facts. She's spearheading a lot of the efforts for reparations, which I think is really important. Reparations, it's hard for some people to, to grasp. But when we go back to Jill Scott, and her new anthem, um, our memory has been erased. We, our ancestors built this country. We have not been compensated for what we have done for this country. So Absolutely. I'm doing a, a Smarter in Seconds very soon, hopefully with Representative Cory Bush on reparations. And I'm thinking of different ways to open the lesson because I try to have these like fun little sketches that like mm -hmm. invite people in because sometimes you have to really subvert a, a commonly held belief to jump into the lesson. And so we start out with like, hey, remember when that person stole your bike? Yeah, I like they I made them replace it. Okay, now imagine your ancestors had everything stolen from them. And then everything that they stole made somebody else rich, wealthy, the best superpower in the world. And you never got anything. And it's still affecting you today. 
hundreds of years later. You still don't have a bike. You ain't got nothing. Your mm-hmm. name was stolen. Your body was stolen. Your life was stolen. Your children were stolen. Like, And then you were told to pick yourself up by bootstraps by a society that deprived you of boots. Yep. And I said that poetically when I wrote my second book, Making Our Way Home, which is all about the Great Migration. Like, it, it's it's a great place to start. Uh, it's an illustrated book by Rochelle Baker. And I said that, and then I looked back maybe a year later into some archives, and I saw some formerly enslaved people who, you know, were emancipated via the 13th Amendment, who literally didn't have shoes. Mm. And so not mm-hmm. only... Was that something that like I was like, oh, yeah, no, a society that deprived them of boots. And I'm looking at these pictures. They literally deprived them of boots. There was no 40 acres and a mule. There was all types of promises we were given uh, by this country. And despite all of that, when we see like during World War II, who's the first people signing up to fight for America? It was us. It was us. It was also Japanese Americans who were being incarcerated at the time. Like they're so we believe in the promise of America. As a people, we can look at the statistics. Pew does research on it all the time, but we are not returned. And even Dr. King said in the I Have a Dream speech that America has cashed a bad check and it is time to pay up. That's a paraphrase, but that's pretty much what it was. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, for the black men and women who served, they didn't have access to the GI Bill. They weren't able to, you know, get a home in the burbs and start to build generational wealth. That didn't happen. We were moved into the very ghettos that other people who were brought into dominant culture were able to move out of and and benefit from, you know, the the GI Bill. I have a white grandfather and a black grandfather. My white grandfather was able to get a house through the bank because he had the GI Bill from the Korean War. My um, black grandfather also served in the Korean War. He couldn't get that. And so why? Because there was this redlining. So banks had these maps and there was red areas and there was, you know, green or white areas. And if you lived in a red area before, which was a black neighborhood, you couldn't get a loan in a white area. Well, you had to live in those red areas if you were black because of segregation. So we're saying, hey, on paper, yes, you have access to this. But once it's implemented, you can't. So by the time my black grandfather, Joe, when he was able to get a house, it wasn't through the GI Bill. It was through, uh, he, he did construction. He was a carpenter. And he asked the white man who owned the carpentry company if he would lease him one of these homes that wasn't selling well. And that's how they became homeowners. By that time it happened, my white grandfather, Roy, was already on his second house through the bank. So that's what that stark difference looks like. You already, you're working twice as hard to get half as much. There you go. I also had a Grandpa Joe who also was in the Korean War. Same one. <laughs> who was also a carpenter. <laughs> yeah. Are we related? Are we cousins? <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to call my Also mom. California. <laughs> To close out the show, I want to highlight someone who's out there being a soft black woman. And this week's soft black woman is actress Ayo Edebiri, um, who's Sydney on The Bear. Yes. And a hilarious comedian in person. I was able to see one of her stand-up sets. Hilarious. I love her. I enjoy The Bear. It's very stressful for me at times with my little heart condition. So I, I watch it. Like, <laughs> Little seconds. In, in parts. Little parts. But um, this current season I, that I'm still watching, uh, I am not, I'm not done. Sydney, Ao's character, Sydney, is all about taking control, making decisions, but also leaning into softness. So some of the decisions she's showing vulnerability, which I think is incredibly powerful. Or did you watch it already? Are you already done? I haven't watched it yet. It also str- anytime we're like the premise of the show is like workers getting mistreated. I can't watch it. Like it's <laughs> 
like white lotus <laughs> people are like i love white lotus and i'm like this woman went into labor on on the job no because i used to work in reproductive i still work in reproductive health pretty much so it just stresses me out too much i can't i can't do it so then you're with me with like doing it in little like little luckily it's like 24 minutes 30 minutes or whatever so you can little by little i tried to watch hijack with my partner last night and i was like this is too stressful nope i fly too I, much i can't <laughs> self-care that is self-care that is softness by not watching those things i mean it's important that we see examples of soft black women in media because that also helps give permission to other people however they identify with tapping into softness so question i have for you how will you bring softness into your week I'm bringing it right now. I knew I had this podcast this morning and I like set my alarm for 6.30 a.m., slept through it. I even hit snooze multiple times. And I was like, you know what? And I was like, okay, well, let me rush to take a shower. Da, 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 da. And I was like, you know what, girl, we put it on a robe. We put it on a headscarf. I can do commentary yes. anytime, but I needed a minute to feel like I needed to get dressed. So that's what I decided to do. I'm bringing the softness in that way. It's remote. You know, my body odor may be offensive, but we don't have smell-o-vision yet, so we're good. <laughs> and I think that's how I'm trying to bring softness. Also, yesterday, um, you know, there was kind of this push to get back into the grind, like right after 4th of July, like, let's go, let's go. And I just, you know, messaged my assistant and I was like, hey, let's actually take it slow. And so we're getting started today uh, instead. And guess what? Nothing's going to happen. It's going to be fine. One of the best lessons, I think, in addition to, you know, Trisha Hersey, uh, Rest is Resistance, was also Erica Totten. Um, when she went on her sabbatical and she came back, uh, she's talking about, remember that your past work will set the foundation for your present. And so you can rest without worrying that you will become irrelevantized or that you will become erased, anything. Systems of oppression might do that to you regardless, but your people see you and they care for you. So you can take a rest. I'm so glad you are my people. Likewise. And you see me and I see you. Can you let folks know how to find you? Yes. So you can find me on threads nowadays, as well as Instagram at Blair Imani. That's B-L-A-I-R-I-M-A-N-I. And uh, New Smarter in Seconds coming out every week, all the time. I make little digital PSAs because we, we don't have time because of this capitalist system, but we do maybe have a minute, 90 seconds to spare to learn about new different social justice issues. And I try to provide that served up with style, lipstick, and lots of vibrant colors and visuals. I have ADHD, so I'll make sure you never get bored because Lord knows I do easily. Hopefully I didn't bore you with my history information, but I hope you have me back. This is an amazing, I cannot wait for to see the trajectory of this podcast. You will for sure be back. We I mean, we are absolutely coming back. I did put a little bit of a pink lip on today. I don't really wear that much makeup, but I'm like, Blair's coming on and she has lippies and I want to get it together for you. Meanwhile, I haven't showered yet, so I appreciate the effort, but no, no, no Well, in, in solidarity, I also haven't showered, so we are together. <laughs> well, that's it for today's episode. Be sure to join Soft Black Women Club by leaving us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. And follow the Betcha Sup podcast wherever you're listening. We'll have a new episode of Soft Black Women every single Friday, so be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss our next episode. You can follow me at Change Today, C-H-A-N-G-E-C-A-D-E-T, and follow at Betcha's underscore sup on Instagram and TikTok. Until next week, keep being amazing. Soft Black Woman is produced by Amanda Duberman, Rebecca Salzmacat, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Rebecca Salzmacat. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. 
social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and send us your emails on SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.